I was 20 years sober and I couldn't have a healthy conversation about money. I had no idea how to save or pay my bills on time or go on a weekend ski trip. That was just beyond my understanding how somebody could save money for a trip. Welcome to the Secret Life Podcast. Tell me your secret. I'll tell you mine. The best way to support the show is to subscribe and share. If you haven't left a review or ratings on iTunes, please do. It helps more people find our show. And if you want to be on it, please shoot me a note at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Welcome to Secret Life Podcast. I'm Brianne Davis-Gant. Today, I'm pulling back the curtains of all kinds of human secrets. We'll hear about what people are hiding from themselves or others. You know those deep, dark secrets you probably want to go to your grave with? Or those lighter, funnier secrets that are just plain embarrassing? Really, the how, what, when, where, and why of it all. Today, my guest... Ooh, the time has come. My guest today is Mark. Now, Mark, I have a question for you. Yes, Brianne. Dun, dun, dun. 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 <laughs> what is your secret? Oh, is that what we were talking about today? I didn't realize. <laughs> <laughs> so my secret is, I would say that everyone that knows me knows that I've been sober for 32 years something that I'm very vocal about, both in person and on social media. But what most people don't know is that I'm also a recovering under earner. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you are. Yeah, I am. I but am. here's the thing. Anybody that's listening, obviously, this is my partner. He's the other half of Secret Life. And we've been wanting to do this episode for a really long time. And what, you know, Mark and I decided that what happened this week for you? to like come out with this? Well, this week I celebrated a decade of solvency and recovery from under earning, which means I didn't incur any unsecured debt one day at a time. And unsecured debt is defined as any form of debt that isn't backed by collateral. So for 10 years, I haven't incurred any new unsecured debt one day at a time. Yay! Just so you know, I know you don't like to mention like it's, you're not supposed to mention a 12-step program, but it is DA, correct? Yes, DA stands for Debtors Anonymous. It's a 12-step program based on the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And like in AA, where the only requirement is to not drink one day at a time, the only requirement for Debtors Anonymous is to not incur any new unsecured debt one day at a time. So congrats on your decade. I mean, Thank 10 you. years, that's... Crazy because it feels like it was just yesterday. And we'll dive into that. But the reason we wanted to have you on is this week you actually kind of announced it on Instagram when you got your decade, just like with my article for Huff Post back in March. And what happened? <laughs> well, like I said, I'm very vocal about my sobriety but I'm not vocal about my recovery from under earning. It's something that uh, like sex and love or eating, it's, uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's very gray. It's like a very gray program. Yeah. It's this gray area because it's something that everybody deals with. Not everybody is an alcoholic. Yeah. Not everybody is a drug addict, but we all 
have to spend money. We all work. We all have to, you know, like sex and love. We have to have sex and we have to have love. And these are, these are diseases that a lot of people don't quite understand. It's not just this, this acceptable thing. Yeah. I feel like with, with alcohol, people are like, yay, congratulations. And all the other ones, they're like, huh? Yeah. I mean, I think that we, we're so, um, we're so used to seeing that in society and we all know somebody, you know, that's an alcoholic in our lives, you know, and some of them have gotten sober. And so we sort of know, understand, oh, there's these programs that they, meetings they go to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's something that we're all sort of used to. I think when, um, when there's other addictions like money, food, sex, and love, mm-hmm. those are things that are just, like you said, they're great. They're not so cut and dry, like, oh, so, but I, you're not consuming anything specifically that's going to aka kill you kill me or give me a DUI which is going to then you know put me to in prison and things like that but here's the thing and I have to cut you off is like I've said before more people are murdered and killed and commit suicide over money and sex absolutely but I'm saying as a society we don't that's not something that we admit or at least understand I think it's more about understanding I think it's the understanding. Yeah. I think that's why, you know, you and I wanted to to do this episode. And I, w- I just want to also just take a beat to say that this has been such an incredible experience, you know, working on this podcast with you, you know, just to have you decide to write a book. And, you know, I mean, I don't know who encouraged you to do that, but whoever it was, was very, very smart. He's a very smart man. Very smart man. And he totally knew what he was talking about. But for you to write the book, then, you know, to publish this article, the HuffPost, to, to basically out yourself. Yeah. And, you know, and like you said, you know, you're sort of leading that up to me about putting myself out there with, you know, my issues with money is you know so when i when i posted that nothing happened like nothing happened nobody cares nobody cares nobody really you know the The world didn't stop yeah the handful of people that you know commented on it or you know sent me a thumbs up great you know whatever it's (laughs) like it's so not important but um but there's there was there is always this shame and that's really where it's come from for me is the shame the shame about I feel like I should know how to do it. You know, like everybody else knows how to, you know, balance their, their checkbook and other people are successful and they they have like this careers. But they don't. Here's the thing. I've met so many people, even myself, that was not taught to me. There should be a class in school that teaches you to open a credit card right when you get out of high school to, you know, start building your credit to then, you know, balancing a checkbook, seeing how, how much you make, that is not taught to us unless your parents do it. No. And I, you know, and at the same time, I, I got a credit card right out of high school basically, but that doesn't mean that I knew how to use it. And that's to what me, I mean. It's to yeah. use it to build credit, not use it to go buy a bunch of, a bunch of crap you really don't need. Right. And never want to pay it because I feel like, you know, it's, it's free money. And so <laughs> and that's like literally how I felt about it. So um, wait, I, before I want to kick it back to where this all started, like let's, when is the first time you realize that, there was an addiction to money or an an imbalance in your life. Right. So it's not an addiction to money. So what it is. Well, I'm addicted to money. I think that I just outed myself. Well, for sure. I mean, for sure. (laughs) I'm like a addiction to money and hoarding money. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and so for me, it's hard for me to talk about money. There was always like tightness in my chest or my throat that I would feel. And it's at the bottom of that is all about self-worth yeah. about my value and about, you know, is there going to be enough for me is, you know, do I deserve it? Uh, have I worked hard enough? You're do I need to like work the harder? hardest you know? worker I know. Well, thank you. Um, and I don't know if that's a good thing, but I do work really hard, but, <laughs> but I'm, but I'm more willing to work hard under earning, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, it's safer to, let's say, do props, which is what I was doing for a long time, or art direct. It's safer and easier to have a hustle and make the money that way than sit down and commit to writing every single day and coming up with a pilot and mm-hmm. having a pilot that I can then get out to all these people that I know and hopefully get work out of it. And that's what I'm saying is like when it comes to that kind of thing, like getting to the point where. But um, I feel like we're missing a big thing of your story. Your thing with money started at a really young age. You wanting to make a lot of money, you thought you had to work really hard. But then when you were younger, it was like all this weird twist. And I feel like we're missing that in this story. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You asked, like, when did I first realize that I had a problem with money? I didn't realize it till much later till, you know, 15 years ago, 14 years ago, starting to see that I was having some issues with it. Instead, I just thought I just needed to, you know, to get this check. But I can go back now and look at my life and just say, you know, first of all, you know, my parents, we didn't talk about money. We didn't talk about that kind of stuff. And, you know, my parents got divorced when I was nine. And so up to that point of nine, we lived, you know, uh, in a middle-class family. And my dad was a police officer. My mom worked three jobs sometimes. Mm -hmm. I was a latchkey kid. We would, you know, get home from the bus and we'd like, you know, walk to back home. And we always had enough but the neighbors had the bigger boat. They had the bigger yeah. house. They had the bigger, you know, the the pool in the backyard. So there was always something that, you know, I would look at other people and say, oh, I want that. And so until I have that, then I'm not good enough, you know? Right. And so the first time there was an opportunity for me to earn money besides chores and, you know, mowing the lawn of neighbors and stuff was, you know, I had a friend that was delivering newspapers and, mm-hmm. you know, he was... I think he was probably 10 and I was nine and and he came home one day we were like at the pool and then he went and like bought all this candy and we went to his house and he had like all this candy and stuff in his room I was like what is all this from he's like oh I have a paper out so I have I get you know I collect money and I get you know whatever $40 a month and so um he ended up moving and I slid in and took his (laughs) took his paper out and uh, and I continued having a paper out from nine through 15 and a half wow sometimes I had three to four routes at the same time See, you were such a hustler I was a hustler (laughs) you know but um the problem was is so I'd collect the money and at the end of the month you have to pay this bill like they charge you seven it was at the time it was like seven dollars a month i remember the seven dollars a month um and you know let's say i had 50 people and so you know of that seven dollars maybe five dollars would be towards the bill like how much the in the two dollars would be profit for the carrier me but there were other people that paid three months in advance so i sort of had this extra money kind of thing and and what i decided was well i had this extra money for next month so i just i'll collect some more money i just just use some of that towards my little profit that i was going to have and it just became this thing of just like you know trying to catch up every month and kind of catch up and if i didn't have the money i'd ask my mom and she would pay for it or my dad would pay for it you know but i think i think the money somehow made me feel special and made me feel like you know and then buying food 
you know, or candy and sugar and that kind of stuff was like, you know, a way for me to sort of not feel sort of numb myself for like all the outside stuff that was going on, you know, sort of this instability with family and stuff like, and so money was always, you know, in my mind, if I had money, that would somehow fix things, you know? And I think a lot of people, I mean, I even think like, if I have a certain amount of money, it's going to fix something. I'm going to feel better. I'll feel more secure. But then what happens is you get that amount or you get that thing and then you don't feel secure at all. And yeah. it's like, then you set another bar for another thing or another amount of money. But we we have not discussed, and I know this story, but the listeners don't. So it's time to tell when the shit hit the fan. What made you decide to really look at, okay, something's going on with me and my money managing and, and my life is unmanageable. So I think it was... There's a combination of things and, and it all started, I would say around 12 years ago. And that definitely started while we were together, you yeah. know, where it was, you know, where I was, I had never lived with anybody before. So here we are basically three years into a relationship <laughs> that I was paying for a majority Everything. Of, our, yeah, of our shared expenses, <laughs> you know, and, um, and, and yet like I never, you know, I work so hard, I'd have money, you know, I have, I'd make a certain amount of money and then then it just would be gone. Then it's like yeah. I'd spend it and that kind of thing. And so and I think this- a lot of people probably feel the same way. Like they make money and then it's just gone and they don't know what it they spent it on. Yeah. And I think that there was a part of me that, you know, under... <laughs> I never felt like, oh, well, there's a solution because I felt like, well, that's that's freelance. This is freelance. I worked freelance and actors. It's like, you know, it's like it's like it rains and then it pours and then it's like a drought. drought. So so, so for me, I never had sort of the tools to be able to say, how do I save for not the rainy day, but for the (laughs) drought days? And I just I never had those those skills. So on the outside, all these things were happening and I couldn't pay my bills. So I would go to friends to like borrow some money, get me to the next month or I would get a job, you know, do like a design job or photography job, but I would have them pay me first. And then like months later, finally get to the job if I ever did it. And so that just like, it felt so bad as that was happening. And, and there was a part of me that said, if I just made it, if I just got this big paycheck, that was going to be the thing. And I was working really hard on this project and it was getting close. It's called abandoned way. And you know, this check was going to be coming in. It was going to be this big check and it was going to like fix me. And I was in a, I was a meeting in the meeting of a, and this woman finished her lead. And at the end, she said, you know, but I just want to say, like, I really owe my sobriety and my life to Debtors Anonymous. So thank you, guys. Thank you very much. And I was like, wait, what? What? What's Debtors Anonymous? I've never even heard of that. Yeah. And and her whole thing was about this abundance in her life and the shift in living living her vision. And and so we talked afterwards. She's like, ah, yeah, I know. I've been 20 years sober, too, and blah, blah, blah. And this is what I, you know, this is what it was like. So I was 20 years sober, and I couldn't have a healthy conversation about money. I had no idea how to save or pay my bills on time or go on a weekend ski trip. That was just beyond my understanding how somebody could save money for a trip. And you and I didn't discuss money either. So it's not like I was a partner where I was like, hey, let's discuss money and have a healthy conversation about it. No, and we can talk about how that didn't happen for a long time for both of us, but <laughs> probably not until recently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I went to these debtors anonymous meetings for like the first three months, and and the check came in, and I was like, as soon as that check comes in, I'm going to make sure that I like put ten percent here, twenty percent here, thirty three here, thirty three here, and that's what I'm going to do. And and I did that, and then yeah. the job started, 
and I stopped going to the meetings. And I basically, every morning I'd wake up and I would check Bank of America and look at my account. And all I did was just watch my, my account go down. As I was like doing this job, I was doing nothing else to earn any more money. I was like focused on this job. This was the big job. This was yeah. the big check. And I found myself to the day that I went in there the first time. So yeah. in 2009, I went in in April and, and it did took me for a while to get there. And then in the area, there I was in April, 2010. And the same thing, I was down to zero and what had happened, nothing had changed. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Right. And so I was, you know, the story as it goes, I was in Canada at this festival being for these celebrated, awards, celebrate, <laughs> being celebrated on a panel talking about how awesome, you know, I am for creating my own show and blah, 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 <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And I literally have like $25 in my bank account, maybe 35. I have a bad check that goes through and I have no money. Like I'm up there with no money and you call me and say, our water shut off. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a three day notice to quit on our door. And that was, and that was sort of was the bottom for me where it was yeah. just like, I had to come home and I had to tell you, I haven't been paying the rent. You know, I can't figure out how to do this stuff. And, and still, I never said, you need to give me money. Yeah, like, you, still, yeah. like as for me, it was like, I needed to be the guy that like provided. And, you know, you were definitely at that time. Yeah, I was definitely, work. I mean, I'll own my own crap. And, but I was definitely at that time, like a man has to take care of me, even though I'm capable of taking care of myself and I have enough money, but I j always believe like a white knight is going to come in and take care of me and handle all that. And I can hoard my money and like be a okay. If, you know, I decide to leave or he decides to leave me, it's like a backup plan, which we talk about. It was like I had one foot in and one foot out. Yeah. And so I think that was that was like the big the big shift for me where I was like, OK, so, you know, a year later, I thought all I had to do was just sort of like separate my money and like have some savings and that would be fine. But nothing changed. I didn't change my behavior on my desk it was just stacked of mail that I never opened. And like I would only open it when it got to the pink envelope, you know, when it was like it's like the red writing, yeah, like exactly. this is about to be shut off. Yeah. Living in vagueness you know, was a way for me to protect myself. It was a way for me to numb out. It's almost like I I write this whole chapter and I talked about it the other day and we've talked about it. It's like not wanting to adult up, not wanting to take responsibility. There's exactly. a part of you that wants to like still kind of be a child and kind yeah. of like finagle your way out of it. And so this is like the big shift for me is going to the program 
and yeah. really owning that. And the first thing they do is have you just have clarity on money and to be able to like just write down every penny that you spend and every penny that comes in. And, and quickly I would see that I was like spending way more than I was bringing in. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, I, there was this, I had a, they called a pressure relief group and I had these, you know, man and woman sit down with you, you look at your numbers and you go through, through, through the, all these, you know, the list of what you're spending, what you're making, and then also sort of what your, you know, goals are for the month or whatever for the year. Mm-hmm. And she's looking through everything and she says, so it doesn't, where where do you make the most money? I said, well, when I'm acting, that's like where I make the most money. She's okay, great, but like, where do you normally make the most money? Like, what do you, what's the (laughs) most consistent? I was like, well, like when I do props and she's like, okay, so you should probably do more props. I was like, no, no, see, I came into this program because I want to be like an actor, writer, director, producer, this big, <laughs> like very, I have like a vision for my life and it's not doing props. So she's like, okay, it sounds like you're not really willing to earn. And I was like, I'm the hardest worker that you know, like I will. And I went through this whole thing. She was like, okay, so do more props then. I'm like, <sighs> But here's the thing I love. It's not saying you have to stop living your dream. It's just you have to responsibly take care of yourself, you know, as adulting up. Yeah. And so part of understanding how much I was spending was to know that I could either spend less, which I had to obviously at certain places, but Mm -hmm. also to earn more. And so I had to, you know, look at that and say, wow, I'm really unwilling to earn, unwilling to earn, except in some vision, some dream, some fantasy of some, you know, this big job with a big paycheck. Yeah. And so for the next year, from that time of that, that pressure relief meeting till the full year later, I had earned more money doing props than I ever had in my entire life. Yeah. Up to that point, I'd also earned more money as an actor than I ever had in my entire life in that year. I'd also earned more as a writer and as a director that whole year than I ever had in my entire life. And I had done more props, right? That was like the thing. And so, and that's the thing that I can keep coming back to every year for 10 years is I keep saying, am I willing to earn? So I sort of want to like, I want to skip forward real quick to last year to sort of just say that you know, last summer, you know, it's been a challenge. It was a challenging year. It's been challenging since we had a child, you know, yeah, it's like everybody I mean, said, other people, I, he, they cost a lot of money. Yeah. And everybody said, oh yeah, you're going to, you know, they come with a loaf of bread. And I was like, yeah, that's all he came with. Like a literally a loaf of bread. And that was it. There was like nothing else for us. We were looking at each other going, I thought I was supposed to be working. I thought you were supposed yeah, to be I working. Yeah. I thought the I thought money was, was going to be pouring in, <laughs> you know? And like last summer it was like, I was down to $2 and 32 cents in June. And then in July, it was down to $23. And I don't understand. I'm, do, I'm doing everything I possibly can. I'm willing to earn. And you and I had a conversation like, like, maybe you need to get a real job, <laughs> like, yeah. a, like, a, like a nine to five or something, you know, because we got to pay for this kid. Yeah. And so, you know, what I what I realized at the same time was like, I had been writing and I've been directing and it's like, I need to put myself out there in a much bigger way and ask for those kind of jobs while I'm willing to earn while right. I'm willing to do those other things. And and I found myself in a situation where this job was coming up that was like a full time job. And I you said let's at least meet and see what they say. And yeah. so I met with them and I was like, you're like, I don't know how to do this. I'm I like, don't, I don't know. know how to do this. this I'm is like, you'll like, figure it out. <laughs> it's like in Culver city. How am I supposed to do this thing? And so, and ended up like, they ended up not giving me the job. They're like, Oh, the guy's not leaving. So, but 
we still want to hire you to do something. So what about doing this? And it was like, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do this kind of job. I said, yes. And I think the willingness is there. That was the willingness to say yes, but to step out of my comfort zone to do something that was towards the vision to be writing, you know, so from last year until this year, you know, and even through the pandemic, you know, this has been probably the most abundant. I mean, since that 10 years ago, like it's been such a, this, this incredible abundance and with the time. And I think abundance, sometimes everybody thinks is money. And for me, you know, I've always been taught abundance is sort of this three-sided triangle and it's love, time, and money. Sometimes you don't get all three. And if you can just get two, you're golden. You know, there is abundance that can still be had and it has nothing to do with the outside, has nothing to do with money, has nothing to do with my bank account. And at the same time, you know, there's bills that need to be paid and I have to show up for that. Yeah. And that responsibility. And I think the other thing I want to talk about, and I do want to go into my favorite question, but the other thing I want to talk about is like your willingness to have the ugly conversations with me that make us both uncomfortable talking about money, especially like your background and my background, it's very uncomfortable because how we grew up, they didn't talk about money. So I think what's changed this last year is both willingness to have those ugly conversations that people don't want to have. Yeah. And I think that you, you and I have been, we've grown so much over the years and, you know, and one of the things, you know, 10 years ago, they said, you know, so wait, you pay for everything. So what is your girlfriend? Does she not pay for anything? So no, not really. You know, she has her car and her insurance and stuff. Cause part of me feels like as a man, I'm supposed to take care of the woman. Cause that's, that's what society tells you yeah, too. Yeah. Which we both had warped views of our roles as partners, I feel. Yeah. But don't you think it really changed once we had our child? Oh, that took it. That was the next level, I yeah. for sure. Where it was just sort of like. We're partners. That's how it is now. We're like, we're a family. This is our money is towards yeah. him. But, you know, within a year of, of you having to pay way more, it was sort of like, I need to step up. Like, it doesn't feel an equal thing. And so that was where the big, the sort of the next shift for me was like, you know, am I willing to, am I willing to earn not just doing those things that I can do easily, but But to be uncomfortable? I think it's like the willingness to earn and be uncomfortable. I think people are so afraid of being uncomfortable, but to get uncomfortable is where the growth is. Don't you believe that? If you're not uncomfortable on a daily basis, you're, you're not, you're not even close to achieving changing, right? Changing, changing or achieving any sort of goals or dreams that you have. Because I have to say right now, even this conversation is making me uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) And every time I get on the podcast with someone, I'm uncomfortable. And I think that's where the growth is. You are willing to get uncomfortable. Because it feels like you took the ego and you brought humility in it, which you hated that totally. word. He hates that word more than anything. <laughs> I always thought that I was humble. That's the thing. It's like, I thought I was like this humble guy, but really there was a part of me that had so much shame yeah. wrapped up into it. And and the humility to be able to say like, ah, you know, I don't have it all together. And I think that it's not enough to be happy joyous and free and secure when we have the job and we have the money in the bank. We have to be okay when we don't have it. And I'm fortunate that I have you and that you and I have this amazing relationship that, you know, having this recovery that you have and me having my recovery is that's our gift. Our greatest weakness is our biggest strength, you know? And so to have a partner that I can say, hey, this is where I'm at. 
is huge, you know, and to support each other and to feel like we both have each other's back. It's this, this world that we've created from recovery, from yeah. the humility of our stuff. So, and I love, I love you saying that. And it means a lot because 16 years together, we've worked really, really hard. And like, if you're listening right now, the money thing, if you're struggling with your partner and you're not communicating about money, it's baby steps. I just want to say that, like it took baby steps for us, took baby steps for you to step into your power and say, I need help with this. Like it doesn't make me less of a man to ask for a balanced relationship and me also letting go of the fantasy someone was gonna fix me or always you know take care of me which I can take care of myself but it took baby steps and each time we took another step forward that's like made us more connected made us more partners made us great parents together I can say but so I always like to ask this seven deadly sins question which you know because you've edited every single episode (laughs) for secret life podcast but I want to know where do these tie for you with money with under earning with feeling worthless so let me name them for you we got pride greed lust gluttony envy anger and sloth I mean, obviously pride and envy and gluttony (laughs) and sloth, you know, you know, with that sort of the secret really affected my pride, you know, it was all based on pride. I didn't want people to know that I had like an issue. Like this flaw that you. This flaw, this flaw that I like to me, I felt like everybody sort of knew it except for me. You know what like I mean? Everyone like everyone had the like, secret how to make it or make money or, you know, yeah. live. Or just, I, it never made, I never, I never understood how people could go on a ski trip. Like up until I was like 35 years old, like I still like, how do people go on a ski trip? Like, how do you have money for that? So really my life became small because I was so afraid of people finding out I didn't have money. I was so afraid of putting myself out there. There was never any satisfaction and so and that's what we've been talking about it's like you know it doesn't matter like can I be okay today is today enough and don't you think that it ties to and I think this is the last thing like gratitude like you're missing the gratitude and I think that's what you and I discuss the most like where's the gratitude with what is right now yeah I mean gratitude is that's to me my foundation it's there on a daily basis. Yeah. Well, my last question for you is if anybody's listening and they're struggling, they're struggling with their self-worth or not making enough money or wanting to live this dream, but also can't pay their bills, like what would be your advice for them? What I hear every episode, you got to ask for help yeah. is that, you know, admitting that you need help, I think is like the first step. It it's is. like the first step to anything to be able to say like something isn't working. Yeah. This isn't working for me. You know, I know that for me, I can't do it alone. And so I've never, I've never been able to do it alone. Matter of fact, you know, I can't do it alone. Well, thank you for coming on. I am so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for you. And I love you. And I'm just, I'm so proud of you and everything that you're doing in this, this podcast, your book, who you've become over this you know, 16 years, you know, I'm looking at this as not the same little girl <laughs> that I met. And, and I'm definitely not the little boy that you met um, who thought he had his shit together. So, And I'm so proud that you came on and spoke your truth, especially after receiving your 10 years, because you are the other part of secret life that people don't get to see. They get to hear my voice and see me, but you put in just as much work and this means so much to you and you edit and you 
these are stories you want to tell also to help other people. And that's why we do it. So if you're listening and you're struggling, please reach out to us. You know, we've been there. We've either heard it, gone through it, done it ourselves. So please email us at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. And until next time. Thank you again for listening to Secret Life Podcast. Please subscribe, share, send me a note, and you can always support the show with a donation on our site, secretlifepodcast.com. Until next time, bye.